You have to create a fertile ground, which means having a culture that is genuinely supportive of creating the time and space for people to think. It means having a set of values that recognize that that's okay. You can genuinely do that, and that is seen as valuable and rewarding to the organization as well as to the people that work in it. It requires a sense of confidence that you can fail. Welcome to the CIO Exchange Podcast, where we talk about what's working, what's not, and what's next. I'm Eugene Porter de Leon. This conversation is part of our three-part Lead Forward series, where we talk with technology leaders about the real stories behind three themes, innovation, talent, and experience. In this episode, we tackle the theme of innovation from the standpoint of solving problems in unique ways that surprise and delight users and provides them with solutions they never knew they needed. Jason Conyard, VMware CIO, talks about how the term innovation is overused. He focuses on what's really required, and that's a change in mindset as opposed to just a transformation in technology. During our chat, we cover how innovation can mean many things to many people, and how creativity, trust, and diversity is what we're really talking about when we use the word innovation. Jason, I want to start from a good foundation, too, because there's... The topic of innovation means a lot of, it's gotten convoluted. It's been pulled in so many different directions from process innovation, from Silicon Valley to logistics, to all these different things that people have sort of slapped the innovation label on too. I think it's it's good to sort of take a step back and level set. When, you, when we're talking about it, when you're thinking about it, how do you like to define it when you're having that conversation with your peers or other people on your team, when you're talking about innovation? How do you like to look at that? Let's start with the word innovation. I think it is way overused. <laughs> just just a tad, just a tad. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that it's often used uh, as a replacement for something else. Often we're talking about creativity. We're talking about how we solve problems uh, using new approaches, whether that's new processes, new policies, or, or even technology. But I think it's way, way overused. When I think of innovation, I'm thinking about I think about the space program from the 60s. I'm thinking about where necessity has been the mother of invention, where humanity and the very nature of life as we know it is on the line. So I think we use innovation, we throw it around a little bit too much, um, in fact, a lot, when in fact what we really were talking about is creativity. And I think that's where I think we can have a real conversation, which is how do we stimulate creativity in a meaningful way to an end, whether that end is in education, whether it's you know in, in science, whether it's in, in commerce and business, that's where I think we should really be talking. Let me sort of touch on one thing that you talked about, because when I think when people talk about innovation, they are talking about novelty about or creativity in that certain circumstance. And it's good to kind of get on the same page with that. And so where do you think that the need to use the word innovation, especially from a technology leader perspective, do you feel like it's needed in order to sort of, in order to gain recognition, in order to gain budget share? Do you think like if someone came to the board and said, hey, I want to do something really creative, the board would be like, what? Or the executive staff would be like, what? I don't, I don't think that, well, that's, we're supposed to be innovative. Like, oh no, this, this is really creative. We need to do it this way. Do you think that it's leveraged for to be spectacular, to communicate, to tell a broader story, or do you just feel like it's just, it's maybe potentially used because people aren't being specific. People aren't getting intentional. People aren't being strategic. So they say innovative because they feel like it, it communicates some of those things when really they need to get more specific. I think it's hyperbole. Yeah. And I think that we should be more specific. Look, 
it's often a replacement. When people talk about being innovative, they're often talking about, especially in a commercial environment, they're talking about how they can be the next Uber. Mm -hmm. They're talking about how they can transform an industry in a way that brings tremendous value uh, by providing new capabilities, solving existing problems maybe in new ways or maybe providing new capabilities that people had never imagined. So I think when it's used in its truest sense, there's nothing wrong with it. But I think it's often a replacement for something else. So I, I like I like how you talked about solving things in new ways and there, there being no shortage of ideas of how to solve those. It seems like ideas are sort of that fuel in order to solve problems in new and interesting ways. I think it's really good to underscore that. And then maybe sort of does the emerging technology, I mean, to, to have innovation, does it have to be like emerging technology? I mean, there's some of the stuff that you're working on that that is sort of more leading, bleeding edge. That, that's true. Um, there are definitely things that we're working on which are much newer or, or less tried and tested and obvious. I will also tell you that I love to see creativity that comes from old tech. Interesting. Or from, or from ideas that you know, technologies and things that have existed a long way, but people have imagined new ways of assembling them. So let me give you a very simple example. I've talked about our colleague photo management tool in the past, and that's where mm -hmm. we've essentially said, how can we make it easier for people to have their identity shared across our business systems? Now, does that sell more product? No. But in a world that has been distributed or hybrid now for almost two years, being able to see the likeness of your colleague across our business systems allows people to feel more connected and more human. So that, that didn't require the, the creation of a new special technology to make it happen. It required people to think about a problem differently and to develop a solution that could could make it happen. So, aren't you supposed to use blockchain for something like that, Jason? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, and the other the other thing, you know, joking aside, is that sometimes technology can be absolutely the wrong thing to use, or creating or using a new technology can be the wrong thing to use. So, I think people sometimes conflate the idea that you have to use a new piece of technology to solve a problem. Sometimes it's it really is an act of creativity, seeing the value. My goodness, think about sustainability and people that are finding ways of recycling, you know, clothes or materials in different ways so they can extend the life of them. That's not necessarily creating, it's not necessarily creating a new material, but it's seeing a new future for something that's existed. So that to me is an act of creativity. That fascinates me because it is, it's like you don't need a new line of code or a new piece of technology or a new framework in order to say, look, we're going to innovate the way that we do this. It really, sometimes it just takes a mindset. It takes a process innovation or it takes a cultural or team or organizational innovation where you say, look, we're going to look at things differently and we're going to do things differently. And that... And that, I don't know if, the, if, if you, that opportunity, like maybe you provide that team with that opportunity in order to sort of to take what exists and take it further or imagine it in new ways. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think it requires a number of things. You have to create a fertile ground, which, you know, means having a culture that is genuinely supportive of creating the time and space for people to think. It means having a set of values that recognize that that's okay, that you, you can genuinely do that and that is seen as valuable and rewarding to the organization as well as to the people that work in it. It requires a sense of confidence that you can fail. The reality is that most things we try 
aren't successful the first time. Some of them uh, help us build new ideas in our minds, help us develop new concepts. And sometimes those concepts are just not ready at that moment. Sometimes you want to put them back on the shelf. So I know there are a lot of things the emerging tech team works on that you know, we will we'll we'll stop at some point. There's normally some arbitrary gates along the way where we'll go, okay, you know what, we've learned about as much as we're going to on this topic right now. Maybe there's a piece of technology that doesn't exist yet. Maybe the need isn't as ripe as we thought it was. And we'll put it back on the shelf. And a number of those things will get taken off again and, and, and spun up in new ways. Maybe not solving the original intent but adding value in new ways. But you've got to have a culture that's supportive of that. You've got to value those things. You've got to create an environment where people feel they can take risks and they can fail. And I think the other thing I would add to this, which is very near and dear to my heart, is that I put a very high importance on people from diverse backgrounds working together that are multidisciplinary because they come at things afresh, they see things differently, and then you start to see the edge effect. You start to see people, you know, people bouncing ideas off around each other, not necessarily knowing what, you know, the textbook answer is, but starting to imagine things in new ways. And I get very excited when that happens because I know that there's there's at least going to be a very, very interesting conversation that occurs. <laughs> yeah, you're going to be challenged, yes. Yeah, there's a you know, really powerful and, uh, and insightful conversation that's going to occur. And, uh, and the chances are there'll be something that tangible that will come out of that as well. Yeah, because I think there's that fear and resistance to that kind of perspective. It's like, well, either there's a fear of, you know, incumbents who are originally like in a team saying this is someone from outside their perspective is different. You know, this challenges my point of view and potentially challenges my my status in a particular role. And this goes to straight to human nature. But when you get those outside perspectives, all of a sudden now you have you have a different level of curiosity. And you may even have ignorance. There may be people who don't even know as much about that technology. And I've actually was actually just talking to um, a technology leader yesterday where they were really excited about talking to someone who had no idea how the, the technology technology worked and asked a bunch of questions that made everyone think about it differently. And I think that's a, just a, a powerful way. And so that sort of, you know, that diversity of thought and it's like, and diversity of discipline too. And that just may just not be people from different walks of life, but maybe creative people, people who aren't necessarily from science or technologists, maybe coming, coming together and, you know, and pulling together and, and having those different kind of perspectives. And maybe you can kind of give me a sense of sort of, of how you foster that in your own team and how sort of you like to encourage that and some of the ways that that behavior is incented, the way that sort of you encourage and, and inspire sort of in your own team. I'd love to kind of hear sort of that, that perspective. Actually, I want to pick on, up on this, if you don't mind, and not, not yet answer that question, but talk about something that, that I think builds very clearly and thoughtfully from that, which is there has been for a number of years now a tremendous amount of emphasis that's been placed on STEM. I'm sure many of our listeners know STEM is for stands for science, technology, engineering, and math. No. Or, or, or maths, as we like to say in the old country. Yeah. Um, and, <laughs> yes. uh, and uh, you know, and I think that that's great. And it's certainly true that VMware is very supportive of all of those topics, as am I. But I also think that there's a really important item that gets missed out in all of this. The rush for more STEM is ignoring the arts. And when we talk about creativity and we talk about the value we get from a multidisciplinary approach, I think it's essential that we don't just like do a nod to the arts. We don't just think of that as being some extracurricular thing. 
um, or something that you might do as a minor or something, but actually recognize the importance of the arts, recognize the importance of people that study and major in English and fine arts and music and disciplines that don't necessarily fit into that that STEM-only approach. And there's a, a good write-up on this, actually. I think it's in Forbes magazine by Bernard Marr, who's a futurist. Uh, I'd encourage, uh, encourage your listeners to Google uh, Google him on LinkedIn and, and maybe on Forbes and take a read. But he really suggests that the term should really be STEAM, not STEM. Put the A back into that, into the mix there, and look for look for talent in the unusual places. I would also say we are in a talent of incredibly talent competitive situation right now. We're all looking for people all over the world that can do amazing work, both at VMware and, and just about every other company on the planet. And I think one of the ways we can make inroads here is to open our aperture, recognize that you know the right person for the roles we have may not fit this very defined traditional scope that we have. Absolutely. And I, I love that you mentioned that because it's like you have like in sort of this standard, and this is not, you know, to 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 dismiss any of the efforts that are done from, you know, from the hiring and acquisition and talent building thing. But we have this sort of, you know, traditional system that says, hey, we're looking for someone who's done the same thing over and over again, and has done it a whole bunch of times, and we're going to de-risk this particular, you know, hire and pull someone in who's like, who's done this a whole bunch of times. And some people have kind of said, oh, well, I have to, I have to really focus on this one thing and do the same thing over. And then we put them in a role and then we ask them to think outside the box, to think creatively, to come invent. It's like, if you like feed someone a steady diet of conformity, you know, and compliance their entire life, and then tell them to be super, super creative once they actually get the role, it's like, there's two different two different stories being told here. And we do, we want those people who just outside the box and you don't have to have maybe 10 years experience in Go when Go hasn't even been around for 10 years. It's like, that, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> so it's the old adage, right? The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome. Absolutely. Um, I think that we need to be prepared to do different things and we should look for people with different experiences and different backgrounds and, and not be afraid of that. We should welcome it. Yeah. And I think that multiple discipline is a great study because that, that really fascinates me because it's like the greatest thinking. Like when you look at something like, let's say the way that, uh, that the Mandalorian, you know, film was shot, they had like 10 or 11 different direct, I'm sure that I'm getting the number wrong, but many different directors shooting all these different episodes. And John Favreau, who did this wonderful Mandalorian thing, it was just so beautiful and well-crafted. It came from all these different perspectives, not just one vision, not just one view, not just one mode. And that's sort of a beautiful sort of analogy for the creativity piece. And when you're looking at sort of solving problems, and you've said this before, Jason, to where technology may not be technically, may not always be the answer, but the perspective, the idea, the point of view the voices, that discussion, that creative, interesting, you know, d engaging discussion in order to come to that answer is where you need those. That's where the magic. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's where the magic happens. Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. And then so on this sort of extending the sort of idea of creativity and innovation, there's this. I'm a huge fan of of Clayton Christensen. Many of those people who've you know, you know worked with me and like him know, and Clayton Christensen, who became the father of disruptive innovation with the publication of his book, The Innovator's Dilemma, created almost cult-like following in Silicon Valley and other areas of the idea that disruption is linked to innovation. Like you said, everyone's trying to become the next Uber. When you don't, when it's funny because one total aside, but disruptive innovation means something that most people don't really understand and, and using correctly. But I'm going to get off my soapbox about that one. I want to get your perspective on. Do you think that's that disruption 
whole disruption of wanting to be the next Uber or the next Tesla or whatever that is, do you think that's gone too far? And you think this innovation, like you're talking about, where the magic happens is in these creative conversations. And that does innovation then have to be disruptive? Does it have to be like game changing and blowing up some other industry and turning it on its head? So the old quote is, necessity is the mother of invention. It isn't desire is the mother of invention. And and I think that if you look at the times in our history, human history, where real innovation, innovation that is profound, because I think profound and innovation are really synonymous. I think they should be. If you, if you really mean innovation in its true sense, it should be profound. Uh, where that happens more often than not is the result of necessity. And you could argue, you could make the case that when you think about Uber uh, and uh, ride-sharing platforms, that that was an industry that was ripe for disruption because it was stale and hadn't really been reinvented for probably 100 years, maybe, maybe longer. And that there was this confluence of the capability of technology, the ubiquity of mobile devices, um, this ubiquity of connectedness, and the fact that there was a service that was fundamentally underserving its customers. And those things came together. So you could argue, you know, is it a bit of a stretch that it was a necessity? Maybe. But, but it was definitely, there was a very ripe need to be solved. There are a lot of companies that are innovating, that are trying to find what the next thing is. I mean, the Valley's full of companies, actually not just the Valley anymore, places all over the planet are full of companies trying to find what the next thing is that will make them a unicorn. Yeah, that's the goal. I feel like the goal should be something different, but that being aside. Yeah, well, you know, how about how about saving the planet? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you want to talk about necessity being the mother of invention. How about we apply some of that intellect, that smart, that creativity, that thoughtfulness, um, that collaboration um, uh, towards some of these some of these challenges which are not just about you know making more money but are, are genuinely about you know, making the world a better place. So I, I, is it is it overhyped? I think the term innovation is do I think that disruption can be innovative? Absolutely. Uh, I would just sometimes I'd like to see it focused in areas that will, you know, further all of us, not j- just necessarily a few of us. Yeah, I think that's a, a great perspective because it is something, if you want to talk about profound, if you want to talk about real innovation, talking about changing the human condition, nothing could be more profound and life-changing for the people of the planet than solving some of the intractable problems that we that we ourselves as a, as a race have created through what we have called previously innovation through industrial revolutionizing you know, the planet and being so creative that we you know we decided to to create this massive destruction so destructive innovation we're extremely good at i have to say <laughs> uh and in that vein of you know one thread i really wanted to pull on that i think is really aligned to that and that is sort of creating that culture of you know of of moving things forward through making mistakes through you know through failure because like you said most most things do they don't they don't always actually you know um, they don't they don't work a lot of the greatest ideas didn't work the first time or the second time or even the tenth time 
And I have to say, like, as the father of two children, you know, if making money is about moving fast and breaking things, and my two kids are going to do really, really well in Silicon <laughs> Valley because they move really fast and they okay. break a lot of stuff. So I'm ready to <laughs> let them loose on some of these great problems that we have. So what are the sort of, what are the great opportunities that you see for that sort of next step in, you know, creativity um, and success, but through the eyes of, okay, what, what are companies getting wrong about innovating? How are they looking at it incorrectly or maybe, maybe not incorrectly, but how can, what's a better, what's a better perspective? What's a better way to look at the opportunity there so that we can, you know, learn from the mistakes that we've made in the past as companies. And this is really sort of for the peers you know, out there in other industries, where where do we feel like that opportunity lies in allowing ourselves to learn from those mistakes? So I think it's important to the organizations have clarity of purpose. I think that's very important. I think that while I use the example that we have, have an innovation team um, within IT at VMware, that is, a, that is a team that has a few permanent members and a number of people that rotate through the team. So we're, we're trying to keep it fresh. We're trying to keep real about rotating different ideas and different perspectives in. We also lend members of that team to other parts of the company. They do rotations with the different product groups inside of the company to provide perspective. So I think keeping it fresh is is, is super important. Um, but, but I also think keeping it real is important. So there's this balancing act between I want to give you enough space and time so you can go and imagine and be creative and really just like go crazy uh, in thinking about possibilities and I, I could you know there are lots of examples of things that we've we've done as a result which are, are super interesting or will you know um, yield fruit in the future um, but also grounding grounding the team as well in in very tangible outcomes. So we try and mix mix those things up. Uh, we've got a very we've got a very big system upgrade going on right now for the company as part of you know our evolution to being a multi cloud provider. And I've pulled a few people from this emerging tech team to focus on some of those very challenging issues, some things that allow us to think about our architectures and our designs differently. Um, so it's it's also so. Give people space to imagine, ground them also with real problems so they have to flex between those things. So you get a blend of, of that happening as well and you get the benefit, the halo of that imagination and that creativity occurring as well. Don't be shy about shutting things down. And this is really hard because you're talking about something that someone may be very you know, emotionally invested in. And this is not a call on them as a person. It's a call on the idea saying that idea isn't necessarily ripe. Let's, as I said earlier, you know, let's put it back on the shelf and maybe we'll come back to it. And being a little ruthless about that, because, you know, because if someone's passionate about their idea, they're really invested in it, they're going to keep trying to find ways of sustaining that and sometimes doing that when it's like, no, 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 we really are done, done with this. So I think that's important. Yeah, and and I, I like that. I like that too, and, and engaging with people too, because it is, it's not when people... You know, there's nothing more personal than taking some of your time, your life, and giving it to a project, giving it to a company, giving it to a team. And then you invest yourself on almost part of your identity, if not all your identity in some cases, to this thing, this whatever you're working on. And I think it's really, I think it's fascinating on on how, and can you give me your insight on how you foster a culture in which people can then can invest instead in the journey, invest in the conversation, invest in sort of the quest and the vision rather than investing in, this is mine, this is my product, this is my service, this is my whatever that is, 
and allow and allow them to sort of you know understand that hey this is an experiment you're going to go through this journey and then you're also going to let it go and then you're going to move on to something else because I think that's I think that's a, a critical thing in having that conversation because it's almost it's almost like a dance that you're that you're having with this this individual. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the one of the other things that I would note is that we've also had a lot of success with patent filings. I'm not going to give you the specific numbers, but but uh, significant. Progress. We'll just put all those in the show notes then. Yeah, put well, all the patents. Well, <laughs> what, what's interesting there, Yadim, right, is that how often do companies think about IT departments being the source of patent filings? It's pretty rare. No, I mean, that's that's something unique. I mean, it's not something that, that people say that's where our, our patent filings are going to come from. Yeah. And then in terms of those actually turning into final patents, it's actually a very impressive number of ideas that the team have originated and have been registered you know, through the company. And that's an ongoing thing. That's not like a one once-off thing. The, the number is The number is already north of 10 for the IT team this year. Wow. Just in one year. I mean, that's, that's, that is, I, I would say I, the word inspiring actually comes to mind when I think about that. And that's sort of your goal is just thinking, oh, wow, these, most is like, hey, this new service is really loved. Or it's like, no, our efforts result in patents in new ways of doing things. I mean, there's not much not more of sort of a proof of concept than, you know, than getting a patent for it. Sort of on that same line of thought, though, when someone's sort of looking towards that, I imagine that it's, I imagine it's a sort of, it's a team effort necessarily. There might be multiple people involved in that. And then having someone sort of opt into that as that journey without having them too involved in saying like, hey, this is going to be the next patent. It's like, well, no, this is a journey to the next patent and kind of continue with sort of that, that dance of let's not, you know, it's really great that you have this, but at the same time, imagine there's a, there's a management of expectations where you have to say, this is, this is how we're going to get there. And that's maybe the main the main thing that you maybe that's your perspective on and it's that journey of how you get there, not that is a destination, but at the same time it's sort of this north star. And I don't know if you thread that needle. Yeah, so is uh, the pat for me patterns aren't the outcome we're looking for. The exactly. The outcome we're yeah. looking for is for people to think about different challenges we have, explore new opportunities, identifying technologies that can be repurposed or, you know, old technologies can be repurposed or new technologies that can be harnessed. And yes, sometimes that results in a patent, but we don't celebrate the patents differently from our other successes. And more than anything else, the goal of this team is for us to learn. If we learn, if we progress our thinking, then I believe we've been successful. No, I think that's great that you point that out, the fact that you celebrate those too equally. I think that's that's something that I think is is somewhat known, but at the same time really needs to be underscored. I think it is if there is a failure where you learn from something, then that should be celebrated. I mean, like, not that like it was an absolute disaster, you're gonna, you know, yay, we're gonna have a party. This is great. But the learning and the journey, I think, are that the key outcomes of of those particular effort and I think efforts. And I think that's that's something that really needs to be underscored. So what sort of with that in mind, I like the team is sort of this sort of complex organism, this idea of innovation, you know, and driving a team towards that is this maybe potentially ephemeral um, component too. But I wanted to sort of wrap these ideas into a way that let's say a colleague of yours would then take and say, this is, this is where I'd like take that first step. If they're in, let's say a situation in which they're not, their, their teams aren't on that journey, they aren't incented and aren't, you know, have a culture necessarily to, to fail, to celebrate learnings. And then, and then they have maybe either not an innovation, you know, mindset or the idea of innovation is, you know, is the next shiniest thing or it's a disruptive mindset. 
What would you say that that next step would be for the technology leader, for the organization, that business to say, this is the way you need to, you need to just take a breath. You need to stop sort of building on top of what you were building before that is either, you know, fragile or fractured or, you know, or, you know, or legacy and start to say, this is, this is, would be my way to sort of take that first step forward in developing what you feel would be an innovative culture and uh, one that fosters the creation of, you know, or solving problems in new ways? Um, Small steps. And I think that a leader's responsibility is to create the space where people can do that. And that doesn't have to be a team. It doesn't have to be a full-time job. Uh, Sometimes it's about carving out a little bit of time for, you know, an individual or a couple of individuals to, you know, to explore something. Maybe it's driving an efficiency in a process, reducing the friction that exists in an organization or in a particular in a particular system. So I, I think you don't have to it doesn't have to be this bold, grand gesture that costs a lot of time and money. I think you can start small. And I think you use those small examples and you build on them. You, you, use, you solve that small, irritating problem that everybody's been dealing with for a while and gain credibility to, you know, to go back to the well and do some more. I think, I think that's, that's essential. And I think that's something any leader can do is to figure out how to create just a little bit of space for their team to do that. Um, I think the other thing as well is to, and I'm going to kind of connect this a little bit with a sense of community, is you don't always have to be solving a business problem in a commercial setting. Sometimes, you know, it's a charitable thing, something it's a community-based thing where, you know, the team uses their knowledge and skill to help maybe a community organization to give back. So we can, we can do this in lots of different ways. It doesn't have to be this multi-million dollar, you know, thousands of human hours investment to, to demonstrate creativity and to further a cause. All right, so you don't have to ask the board for $100 million in order to be innovative. There's not a set price tag for innovation. I think that's a clear thing that you should sort of put out there too. So Jason, you've talked about some things that are really fascinating about, about creativity, about innovation. What really interests me is how do you, how do you identify those opportunities and and to leverage those to engage with those so there are i mentioned uh, that we you know we collect different ideas from people and we get their input but i think it comes from a heightened sense of empathy really looking to not just listen to what people are saying but really understanding what they mean there's that whole, uh, the old uh, Henry Ford quote about, you know, if I'd given them, you know, what they wanted, I'd given them faster horses. And, you know, and that's oft used, but but it, it's often used because it's very, very telling, which is if, if you just give people, if you just do an amazing job of giving people or solving for the, the thing that they tell you that they want, you're missing this huge opportunity. So one of the things that I'm very proud of with the team is that we intensely listen to what people are saying, really understand where they're coming from, understand what the outcome is they're striving for, and then help them through that sense of empathy and creativity, help them actually solve for what it is that they truly they truly need that's an important part of the process for us yeah no i think that could be powerful too and i think there's a having empathy being able to see something through their perspectives and talk about outcomes 
Because many, many systems, and I'm sure you've known, have been built on top of dysfunctional processes that people said, well, this is the way we do things. We stamp a piece of paper here, and then it goes in a slot. Can you do that in the digital world? Can you can you just replicate that dysfunctional process? And it's like, well, what's the outcome? Well, it's like, well, I want to make sure that I de-risk this, or I want to make sure that this gets approved, or I want to make sure this person has this great experience. Well, like, well, let's completely design that totally differently. And so there's yeah. another piece of empathy that I, I like to say empathy comes with therapy at the same time where you have to say, I need to coach you and say the way you did it before isn't exactly the best way to do it. Because I know there's there's always some resistance to, hey, let's do it in a different way. How do you then approach that la- that piece of empathy where you're like, I see what you need. I understand what you're saying, not exactly what you're asking for, but this is what you need. How do you then help them understand that what they need isn't a digital replication of a dysfunctional process that existed, but instead to change the way they do things in a way that's going to serve the outcome better. And do you walk people, you have to walk people through that? Is that a process that you always have to kind of, you have to sit them down and sort of convince them that, hey, you're going to have to do something differently now? I think it becomes a, it becomes a muscle that you, you have to develop and cultivate. And But it, but it also comes from a, a, a very deep sense of wanting to help people be successful and yeah that requires as you say requires coaching and um and and navigating difficult situations sometimes you know sometimes there are vested interests in old ideas Uh, um, and just trying to help people untangle those things and and focus on the outcome when you when you get lots of disparate folk focused on the same outcome it becomes an awful lot easier to tear down the obstacles that are in your way Nice. So do you have a therapy couch in your office? <laughs> just, just say, okay, I know you're a line of business leader. Just lie down. We're going to talk about yeah, this. A, a virtual one. <laughs> Excellent. All right. So Jason, at this point, I think it's this has been a great conversation. I think those listening to you might be thinking, where else could they find you? Where could they see some of the other work or the thoughts that you might have out there? Do you want to share some of the sort of places they can find you out there in the, uh, what is that called? The metaverse now, Jason, where that... <laughs> <laughs> that place out there. <laughs> so I can definitely be found on Twitter at uh, JR Conyard, uh, as well as uh, on LinkedIn. So I look forward to connecting people with people there. Excellent. Well, thank you, Jason, for joining uh, the CIO Exchange podcast as a part of our Lead Forward series. Thank you for listening to this latest episode. Please consider subscribing to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more insights from technology leaders, as well as global research on key topics, visit vmware.com slash CIO.